ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into the newest edition of the Punch List MMA podcast. I'm co-host Dale Lippin in here with the most handsome. Listen, there was a, there was a vote, and it's happened. So First quarter 2020, most handsome podcast co-host on the planet Earth. Uh, nominee Trey Van Buskirk. Trey, what's going on, man? Man, you always catch me off guard with these intros, and uh, this one I'm just going to accept. You know what? I feel like we are the best looking. You got that nice haircut going right now. Your beard is in tip-top shape, <laughs> kind of like some like, uh, stay classy meats. You know, everything's tip-top shape, right? Everything's tip-top. Yep, absolutely. The only difference is, is you cannot order me directly to your house. Um <laughs> My meat stays at my house, but Stay Classy will bring the finest meat known to mankind directly to your doorstep. Use promo code FIST. Tell them we sent you, and you'll save 10% off your entire order. StayClassyMeats.com. Trey, we've got a lot to dive into. Man, I don't even feel like we need to segue gently into that good night. Let's just get right into it. UFC 247 was a disaster from top to bottom. Um, from a betting perspective, we did just fine, but it was a disaster man just give me some key takeaways here well you're probably anyone that's listening to this is either hearing this on a tuesday or a wednesday but they're probably most repetitively hearing these two words judging and a name by joe solis yeah the judge that gave the 49 46 to john jones the judge that screwed over james kraus and had so many others to talk about but at the end of the day between judging, Joe Solis, and open scoring, that is the most repetitive theme that came out of UFC 247. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the entire event, you know, the, the Texas Department of, I, I don't know if it's their athletic department, what do, what do they go by? What is it, the TD, T, Texas Department of LR, TDLR or something? I forget what it is. Anyway, it doesn't matter. For garbage. Um, it, it's pretty bad when you make New York State look good. <laughs> And they, they just they screwed it up from top to bottom. Joe Solis was a problem, but judging as a whole throughout the night, it takes two judges to get a, uh, a unanimous decision wrong, or two judges to get a split decision wrong, rather. And they were wrong a lot. There were, was it six fights that went to split decision? Yep. Personally, we had five of them probably going the other way. Uh, and that's to say that we've benefited from a betting perspective on some of them, but watching them, we were sitting here sweating it out going, we don't think we, we won this fight. Granted, we got some of those split decisions go our way, but that doesn't mean that they should have. Namely, Derek Lewis, Alir Latifi. Latifi won that fight, man. He did. <clears throat> should have gone two and three the night, ended up four and one. So good yeah. for us from a betting perspective. But yeah, at the end of the day, the judging was so atrocious that I, from the moment, and I was texting you from the first fight, I was in a full sweat from prelims to main card because it was a coin flip if anything went the distance. Yeah. James Krause, in my opinion, I know people will throw a lot of weight on the Dom Reyes, John Jones situation because what was at stake. But in my opinion, the biggest, not robbery, but the biggest offense of the night was the James Krause, Trevin Giles fight. Yeah. It was just, it was. It was criminal what they did to, to James Krause based on the fact that, you know, we know this now, but that one judge scored round one for Trevin Giles despite having James Krause on his back for four minutes and 17 seconds. If something like this happens in an era where open scoring is an issue, that can be addressed immediately 
as opposed to letting this you know go on for another 15 minutes before we actually realize what's happening it was a disaster from top to bottom um we benefited from a betting perspective but it's the kind of right that you don't necessarily want to be no and i, I want to play devil's advocate for just a second here yeah. and everyone's talking about open scoring and how beneficial it is for the fighter's perspective to it's the only sport in the world where you can you literally have no idea till you get to the last round it's a complete surprise once it's over to know how you've scored your entire fight now my question to you is this imagine you are the fighter that's up 2-0 going into the third it gives you the opportunity to run around the cage not engage and not make it an exciting third round so from a fanfare perspective round three can be thrown out the window it could be gone so how do you play with that? If a if a fighter's up 2-0, granted, you're going to have one guy that's going to want to you know throw for the fences, but you're going to have a guy that's going to want to play it safe, get his check, and get out the door. Well, I think accountability starts from the ground up. Um, if we're going to have a strong house, we have to have a good foundation. And that foundation is built with judging and referees and moves up to the organization and the fighters. What the UFC has done has sort of built everything backwards, where they have tried to get the best talent in the world. Then they brought in something to oversee them to make sure that they're not cheating. And now they're trying to address referee and judging issues. When from the get-go, it should have been that the judging is stringent, that the refereeing is stringent. Now let's get athletes that can compete under this rule set, and then we'll give them the best promotion on, on the planet. But they've done it backwards. So what we have now is a, a situation where we're playing catch-up. Um, if we're going to overhaul the judging system, then we need referees that are unafraid to, be, to hold fighters accountable for the changes that happen in the judging system. This means the first time you grab the fence and it prevents a takedown, you take the point away. The second time you poke in an eye after I told you to stop, we take a point away. And this is a big thing we saw with the John Jones fight, and Alexander Gustafson is one of the biggest offenders of this. When you turn your back on an opponent and run away, that is mm -hmm. failure to engage and is punishable by up to a point. So in that instance, if you are the guy that is failing to engage in round number three because the other you're up two rounds to owe, you have to engage. Otherwise, you will be held accountable and could potentially lose one of those points that has you up. Yep. No, so, I like it. I mean, that's the, way it ha that's the way it should be. Um, and if you, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as everybody is aware of what rule set we're playing from in these different states with their different athletic commissions and whether or not they're doing the unified rules, the new unified rules, the old rules, whatever. The UFC runs itself as a promotion, as a company, as a business, right? Here's the problem with this. And I'll get off my soapbox here in a second. Is that they claim you know, they want MMA to be a sport, right? We all we we want MMA to be recognized as a as a sport. However, the UFC says we are a company that is filled with employees. They view fighters as employees. Well, if you are a company with employees and you don't want to be viewed as a sport, why don't you just hire your own judges? Why don't you hire your own referees and you run it like a promotion? If you and I were to go to a bull riding event or a some sort of race of some sort or a monster truck rally or something like that. They have their own judges, their own employees, their own scoring system, and everything's done in-house, right? 
everybody's an employee of that entity, which the UFC claims that its fighters are. However, everything outside of that, they try to run like a sport. You can't have your cake and eat it too in that regard. You're having state athletic commission appointed judges and referees oversee private contracted employees operating within the skills and guidelines and handbook of a company. That would be like the company you work for them bringing an outside HR representative in and telling, having that person tell you how to do your job. Nobody else does that. It's so stupid. You need uniformity across the board. Well, I think, if anything, UFC 247 added the oomph, added the rouse that, from a public perspective, we're going to start to implement these new things. We saw it with Kansas being the new commission that's actually going to put forth open scoring now it's not going to be directly related to ufc it looked like it was going to be invicta fc maybe a couple smaller promotions to start but this is where we're going to start to see the erosion of this old school completely out of the loop scoring yeah and like we said on the instagram post you need nights like saturday night to ignite change um, you have to have, you have to go through something like, and it's been an outcry that's been slowly building momentum for a long time. I mean, one of the biggest people, one of the biggest proponents of this is the Verdict MMA app. And a lot of people say that Verdict poses a potential solution to this. Now, I see a lot of problems with the Verdict app on a grand scale. It's a very useful tool, um, but I don't necessarily think that it in and of itself is the answer. Uh, but it's a step in the right direction. In events like this, the more often they happen, especially when it's high stakes like this with a title fight on the line, uh, especially one with the magnitude of a John Jones fight, that's the type of situation you need to create a crisis-level event that people go, wait a second, we need to stop and reevaluate this. And the fact that it wasn't just one fight, but it was six fights that they got completely wrong. Um or, you know, depending on how you scored it. Obviously, every one of those fights, there's another... The other half of the table was really happy that it went that way. But realistically, no card should have six split decisions on it like that. That's unbelievable. No, absolutely not. But we got to look at the bright side, too. From a James Krause perspective, 18-hour notice. Clearly, he won rounds one and three. But when I say let's look at the bright side... If you heard, he was able to reconfigure his contract. He was actually able to get into a higher echelon of pay going forward, not just in association with that fight, but reconfigure his entire his entire contract. So the cool thing is it does show the younger fighters, hey, while you may not think that you have the leverage, if you're a fighter that's willing to fight and be ready at moment's notice, you can create your own wealth. So that's the good thing we did see out of that fight. Yeah, listen, I'm, James Krause is one of those guys, and I've said this before, well, I was saying it on, on our last episode, you get that cerebral nature to a guy that's also a coach as well as a fighter. They think things differently. They, they take things in a more pragmatic approach. They think things steps in advance. It's not, he's not just out there trying to money grab, you know, just grab as much cash as he can. If, if there's a knock against Cowboy, that, that to me seems to be the one knock or one of the knocks that you can put against Cowboys, I'll fight anybody, anytime, anywhere thing is that he takes just a prize fighter approach to it where he goes, Oh, I'm going to get paid and I get to fight somebody. He doesn't, he doesn't necessarily invest. It doesn't seem any way. And I could be wrong on this. It doesn't seem like he invests in the business of himself as much as maybe as he could. You know what I mean? Connor did a really has done probably a better job than anybody else in investing in the business of himself. Right. Um, 
you know, a lot of these other guys think that somehow, like Usman said, he, he'll retire after he makes $250 million fighting in the UFC. Kamara Usman is never even going to sniff a person that has $250 million, <laughs> let alone make that money because he doesn't invest in the business of himself. He doesn't right. fight often enough. He doesn't talk well enough. He's not doing enough to further his own brand. James Krause saw an opportunity. I'm on a six-fight win streak. This is an 18-day notice. My contract needs restructured. I've been fighting for you guys for a long time. I mean, what was he, like a 15-fight veteran prior to that in the UFC? Two different weight classes prior to that. And goes, you know what? It's an opportunity to ride my momentum because I'm coming off the best I've ever looked against Sergio Marais and let me go ahead and invest in the business of myself. And now everybody's going, oh, James Krause is a gangster. That guy's an OG. He's been like that for the longest time. You know who else like was like that for the longest time? was Jorge Masvidal. And right. nobody cared about Jorge Masvidal until he knocked out Darren Till. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, oh, Jorge's this OG that's been around forever. Dude, I watched Jorge Masvidal fight for the troops in an aircraft hangar 10 years ago and you guys had no idea who he was and now all of a sudden oh i've been watching jorge masvidal <laughs> get out of well, here with that so what you're saying is the next time we see james kraus he's gonna be wearing a versace robe cave yes. side at the next yes. fight 100 percent. yes, 100%. yes. <laughs> absolutely i 100 percent that's believable that's what we can expect but listen Let's uh let's get into this card this weekend. US UFC on ESPN plus twenty five. Corey Anderson versus Jan Blahovitz two. They've already fought before. Corey Anderson won the first bout. But look, man, we're in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, and we got a ton of southwestern fighters on this card. Um, it's it's in my opinion, and I, you know I know that you agree with me on this, so I'm just going to set you up for it. This is a more compelling evenly matched card, top to bottom, than what we saw last week in UFC two forty seven. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. There's these fights. I mean, that's why everything's close to pick them on every single one of these fights. I mean, they could go either way. You've got veterans. You got up and coming prospects. You have so much in this card, and I think we should tell either the viewers on YouTube or anyone listening via podcast platforms. I'm going to put a little warning out there. Dale and I have been arguing about this card all. <laughs> day now while we have our picks for you guys and what we believe you guys should actually put some money on and invest on we have some disagreements you're going to hear that in this episode 100 percent. yeah yeah for sure that's I'm, I'm sitting here getting my game face on because i know <laughs> that you're going to say some stuff i don't agree with and that's fine that's what makes the fight game so wonderful all right let's let's start with one of the fights that you and i do agree on though uh, Macy Chason taking on Nico Montano. Uh, do not forget that Nico Montano was once a champion uh, and then was stripped of her belt. But N Nico, four and three, Chason, five and one. I think we're in unanimous agreement here that Chason has got enough skills banked away in her, uh, in her bag of tricks to win this fight. My only concern with her is cardio, cardio, cardio. Yeah, that's why she's always been a fighter that wants to finish the fight. She's had six finishes, two decisions, one win and one loss on that. You know, when you look at that, she's a fighter that wants to get it done and get it done quickly. Um, you know, when you look at uh, Nico, I mean, she I mean, title shot at four and three. Do you really consider that an actual like title shot type contender at that moment? I don't. I think that, uh, you know, she's had some decent fights against Juliana Pena. She had a unanimous loss against that. She's fought people, but she's the queen of decisions. So, yes, like you said, the one thing I'm nervous about is Macy going the distance with the queen of decisions, but 
I do think that she has everything in her arsenal to get this done quick and get it done fast. Yeah, and I think you can get a good price on Chason at minus 150 still. I think that's worth a decent size play if you bet women's at MMA. If you do, <laughs> I like that as a play, um, you know, for sure. I, I have no problem at minus 150. I think that's a great price on a fighter of the skill set of Macy Chasson. Um, but let's go against a guy that I'm going to butcher his last name, but we're going to go ahead and talk about him anyway. Marab Divlashvili. I, I was trying to go back. No, that's not it. Hi, I'm not even going to try. I, I tried to look up the phonetic spelling, but I think it was in like Arabic, and that wasn't going to work out. Yeah, right, right. Taking on Casey Kenny. Kenny's at 13 and one. Marab is at nine and four. Marab has wrestle heavy background, but Kenny is a dude with a ton of promise with wins over quality wrestlers. This is the first one where there's a little bit of dissension amongst us in the slightest sense. Um, I like Marab in this fight based on what we've seen out of him. But Casey Kenny's got a really compelling record, and you've got a compelling argument for him. Yeah, I mean, Casey Kenny, he's, you know, Marab's a bigger guy. Um, he definitely likes to wrestle. He likes the clinch. But you have to look at Casey Kenny and the fact that this guy knows how to wrestle guys that are bigger than him. His most recent fight against Manny Birmina's. If you guys don't remember, Manny couldn't cut the weight. He was way above where they were supposed to fight at. They ended up doing a catch weight at 140, and Casey Kenny threw Manny Bermudez around like a freaking ragdoll. And that's because he's a black belt in judo. He can throw him around, and you know his jiu-jitsu's decent. So I think if he can throw him, keep him on the ground, I think Casey's got a good point. But I know that you have some good decisions with Marab, and I'd love to hear those thoughts as well. Yeah, I mean, so if you look at the, if you, um, my thing with Marab is basically it's it's quality of training. Um, if you're looking who he's training with, you know, he's coming out of Longo and Sarah, um, and he's training with those guys, high the end dudes, day in and day out. He's in there putting in work with guys like Aljamain Sterling, um, who, from a body composition standpoint, mirrors Casey Kenny in a lot of ways. He's longer, he's leaner, he's got that sinewy style frame. I mean, he's got a lot going on. Uh, as far as mimicking goes, uh, he's also a good wrestler, and I just love wrestlers with good cardio, man. And I think that goes a long way. Casey Kenny, you're right, is adept at wrestling guys that are bigger than him. This fight is extremely close. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Kenny was a champ in LFA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he's got all the credentials necessary to win this fight. I just don't know if he's got the grit to get it done um and you can get good prices on these guys like we said you know if you're looking if you're looking at a fight where you can throw some money at it you could do worse than this fight marab's sitting at a minus 175 casey kenny's at a plus 145 can casey kenny win this fight he absolutely can personally i don't think he's going to uh marab's sitting at a minus 175 but casey kenny is more than capable of winning this fight my personal opinion is that he will not, though. No, I, I like Marab. I like that he trains with Matt Sarah. I like uh, the Ray Longo. I love those type of East Coast fighters. I think there's a lot to that. He's very versatile. He does the spinning back fist thing, and he does a lot of feints that will keep you on your toes. I, I just wonder if sometimes when you create those elongated vulnerabilities with spinning back fist and stuff, it leaves you vulnerable. And we saw that with Ricky Simone. If you remember... He was piecing Ricky Simone up, but then Ricky Simone came in and he actually was able to get a, get a guillotine on him and then, you know, lights out. 
he choked them out as time expired. It was one of those things where they, that the thing, you know, the, the the horn went off and Ricky Simone let go, and Marab was out, and then the referee didn't know, was he out before, was he out after? So they actually ruled it as a TKO, not a submission. So if you mm. look at Ricky Simone's record, it was ruled as a TKO, not a submission because he was holding on to the choke as time expired and Marab went out. But if it went to the scorecards, Marab was up. So yeah. you go, okay, what what do you do? Has potential to be, you know, have a fantastic record. But anyway, um, let's move on. This is one that I know you and I have gone back and forth on a little bit as well. Uh, Rogerio Bontorin taking on Ray Borg. And uh, Bontorin, you know, near and dear to your heart based on his skill set, plus 115. <laughs> Ray Borg near and dear to mine at minus 145. Uh, the slight favorite here. Uh, you know, Bontorin's coming off uh, just an absolute banger of a win uh, against Raul and Paive. One with a TKO doctor stoppage, sixteen and one overall, man. Uh, a flyweight to watch out for, for sure. But can he get it done against the veteran Ray Borg? Yeah, well, I mean, they should literally make his nickname the Wet Blanket. That's what he is. He is a BJJ fanatic on the ground. That's what I think is going to pose a lot of issues to Ray Borg. Ray Borg is not. I mean, while he is definitely, um, he's comfortable on the ground, but he's not great. He's not a jiu-jitsu specialist. If he was a jiu-jitsu specialist, he wouldn't have got a flying arm bar against DJ. You know, that wouldn't have happened. I mean, I've never seen that. That is like, you have to like beg to take an arm for DJ to flip his leg around mid mid air and get an arm bar on you. You know, he hasn't been that active. Granted, he did fight in July of this past year and March, but before that he was out for two years. And I know there were some personal issues with that, but I know that when it comes down to it, you have to have someone that's younger, that's faster, and it's going to be a wet blanket. And that's where I think it's going to be a little bit of trouble for Ray Borg. Yeah. I think the, I, my X factor in this fight, it going into, you know, taking into the, the skills of Bontorin and taking those skills uh, into consideration would be that Ray Borg unanimously beat Juicy A Formiga, who is one of the best jiu-jitsu practitioners in the flyweight division if not the ufc as a whole and ray borg beat him unanimously from bell to bell uh there was that was not like a close fight that somebody could have thought went the other way it was the fight that catapulted him into the mighty mouse johnson title fight so it's not like he's not adept at handling guys that are excellent at jiu-jitsu if you look at the way juicy fought sergio pettis it was a human backpack style situation um, so you get a little bit of a feel of the type of guys that he's capable of beating. However, the loss to DJ, he lost to Casey Kenny, who we just talked about. And then granted his win over Gabriel Silva, necessary to get him back in the win column, but not necessarily something you want to hang your hat on as the most impressive victory you've ever seen. I would say, you know, I always feel like guys that are excellent wrestlers, uh, elite level wrestlers fare well against guys that are you know, jujitsu practitioners, even if they are elite, my concern is, is how much mileage does Ray Borg have left on him? Is he going to be able to put a pace on Bontorin? I don't, I don't know. I, I feel confident in Ray Borg in this fight, but I know you feel equally as confident in Ruggiero. 
Yeah, that's depending if he is able to get a shoot or a takedown in the center of the octagon. If he's only shooting and getting takedowns against the cage, I do think that, like you said, Ray Borg has insane cardio, probably better than Bontero. So at the end of the day, it's all dependent on where he's going to land. While he is a great wrestler, Ray Borg, if he's up against the cage, I think he's going to be able to stand up and progress the fight. If it happens in the center of the octagon, this guy's going to be a wet blanket. He's just not going to get up. It's impossible. This guy is literally like white on rice i mean he's not going anywhere okay i think maybe with something like this a guy like ray borg who's known to have weight issues um this might be one that you want to pay closer attention to come way in day let's see if one ray borg even make weight yeah at to back down uh at flyweight again let's see what he looks like when he makes weight i'm not opposed i think your argument's compelling towards bontoran you can get him at plus 115 like you said to me earlier, I thought we were in the business of making money, and in doing so, you got to take the occasional underdog. Even though Ray Borg at minus 145 is a great price, the more we talk about it, the more we're fleshing this out. <clears throat> I really like the idea of waiting until I see Ray Borg at weigh-ins, and then maybe you know we'll update the Instagram at Punchlist MMA on what we're going to do with this fight because I'm not. I know that's a curveball there compared to what we talked about, but the more I'm talking about, it, the more I'm starting to think that maybe you might want to see what Ray Borg looks like come way in yeah I, i'm into that let's do it okay all right <clears throat> next fight on the card since i somehow ate a piece of sandpaper in between uh talking about fights scott hot sauce holtzman taking on jim miller holtzy at 13 and 3 jim miller at 31 and 13 am i does jim miller have the record for most ufc fights or did cowboy take that back with the connor fight <laughs> Who knows, but he has the resume of all resumes. Holy shit. Oh, my right. God. All right, Scott Holtzman at 13-3, and three, Jim Miller at 31-13. and 13. Obviously, Miller coming off uh, quite a few impressive performances. The technical submission win, the guillotine over Clay Guida after getting his bell rung, and then prior to that, a win over Jason Gonzalez and a win over Alex White, winning three of his last four, obviously losing to Charles Oliveira, who is on a streak. But Hot Sauce Holsey, man, he's big, he's strong, he's fast, uh, and he's hungry, man. I think I think Holtzman's one of those guys to watch this year. He's primed to make a run, and uh, I think Holtzman gets it done. I think he gets it done inside the distance here. He's got knockout power, knocking out Alon Patrick and Dong Young Ma. I think Hot Sauce Holtzman gets a knockout against Jim Miller. I like it. No, he was devastating in the Dunyan Ma fight. I mean, that Dr. Stoppage, if you remember his right eye, it was the shape of a balloon out of control. He's fought the competition. Now, if you look at Jim Miller, a lot of people want to you know, bet with a veteran because he's done everyone. Don Cerrone, Michael Chiesa, Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker, Anthony Pettis. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. But Scott Holtzman's fought more relevant competition in the fact of like josh emmett and nick lentz and um drew dober who we just saw at 247 right. uh, or not 247 the right before that but um yeah he's got great striking the only thing i get worried about with scott holtzman is can he get overzealous you know he likes to throw big haymakers which makes him wide open but Preach. i do think he is the bigger and stronger guy and yeah i'm totally in line with this one yeah minus 150 i think is a great price on holtzman jim miller you know, despite a couple runs of six, seven, uh, six and seven wins inside the octagon, has never really moved out of that gatekeeper status. And I definitely think that he's one of the guys that he is a good litmus test as far as gatekeepers go. And 
his resume looks the way that it does as far as who he's fought because everybody at one point in time to separate the the pretenders from the contenders and the contenders from the pretenders has to go through Jim Miller. And if Scott Holtzman at 36 with his with his resume the way that it is, if he's going to make a run, it has to be now and it has to begin on Saturday night going through Jim Miller and he has to do so decisively. Yeah, totally agree. Absolutely. So all right, we're moving. We're getting closer and closer to this main card here, and we'll we'll rifle these out. John Dodson taking on the prospect in Nathaniel Wood. John Dodson at twenty and three. Nathaniel Wood at sixteen and three. I think we're unanimous across the board here that Nathaniel Wood is going to spoil the hometown fight for John Dodson here. Yeah, I know, and it's a bummer. I always thought the magician would make an, an, another little run. I know at the title, but zero and two in your last two fights. I mean, he's fought the big competition, uh, Petr Jan. I keep saying that wrong, but and <laughs> Jimmy Rivera. I mean, he's fought a lot, but you know, the issue is this guy, there's a reason his name's the prospect. This guy is legit in Nathaniel Wood. Um, he lets his striking absolutely fly. Um, you know, Andre Ewell, who we just saw fight in UFC 247, he got a rear naked choke in UFC 232. So he's got great submission, he's got great hands. I think. You know, this is going to be a big issue for John Dodson, who seems like he's on the tail end of his career. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm with you on that 100%. I, I would have loved to have seen Dodson make a run, but it's, he seems to be one of those guys that fell in love with the one weapon that he re- that made him famous in that left hand and just never really evolved. Everybody else seemed to get better, and John Dodson just kept relying on his speed and his left hand. And after a while, it gets easy to figure out. And, you know, he's been pretty much hit and miss since the uh, the title fights with, with DJ. So let's get a, let's let's move on to a guy that's on a, on another tear all on his own. Tim Means taking on Daniel Rodriguez. I love the Dirty Bird uh, just based on name alone. Tim the Dirty Bird means fantastic, fan friendly fight. There's a reason why this is the featured prelim on ESPN Plus. This is going to be a great fight, man. Uh, Tim Means minus two seventy five. Daniel Rodriguez plus two fifteen. One of the biggest favorites on the card is Tim Means over Daniel Rodriguez, and I think for good reason. I think he's going to get Daniel Rodriguez out of there using pace, cardio, uh, and output, you know, the things that make Tim Means famous. Yeah. I mean, on a heater, beat up uh, Tiago Alves in December um, via guillotine. Uh, great southpaw, got good hands. Um, you know, he's a vet. He knows what's up. Versus Daniel Rodriguez, I mean, good jiu-jitsu. He's a 10th planet guy, uh, Eddie Bravo type guy. So, you know, he's got some good, good jiu-jitsu, but, you know, nowhere on the feet is he going to come close to Tim Means. Yeah. All right, let's kick off this main card, man. Uh, you know, this this is this is one of the ones that you and I have had a hard time with. Uh, kicking off this main card, UFC ESPN Plus 25, Rio Rancho. Uh, starting out, Yancey Medeiros at 15 and six, taking on Lando Venata at 10, four and two. I'm all about that groovy Lando life, man. And I know you roll strong with the Hawaii boys and Yancey Medeiros. Uh, state your case, Playboy, because I'm Lando Venata on this fight. Dude, it's kind of like what we talk about when we go to uh, any country, you know, where the domino is going to fall. I'm, I'm spreading this across a couple cards. Dan Ige, did he win on UFC 247? He, he did. And where is he from? I believe he's from one of the – an island uh, area. <laughs> he is. Haleiwa. And okay. I got I, – I love my Hawaii boys. Yancy Medeiros is one of my favorite. He's a stand-up guy. The guy's got legit stand-up, but he's absolutely wild. And we all saw that. And when everything – everyone fell in love with him was the Charles, Charles Oliveira fight. Slugfest. And as much as you want to disagree, 
back and forth when you are just throwing haymakers, you have to have some formation of a chin. And to watch that go pretty much until the last round of a, just a pure slugfest, I think that Venata, who we're talking about, has some great strikes and can strike from distance. He's not going to be able to wear down the chin of Rianci Baneros. But, again, you've swayed me. You've got great <laughs> rhetoric there, sir, because I am a little bit worried about Yancey and how he's fared against you know Gregor Gillespie um, as of recently. It's it's been a tough go for him his past couple fights. Yeah, I mean, look, look, here's the thing with with Lando Venata, right? And obviously, creativity aside, um, he's creative, he's accurate, he's got good cardio. I have nothing against Yancey Medeiros. I think he's a. I think he's an excellent fighter. Um, can't speak to the personal character of the man, but he seems to be. You know, he's a he's a good fighter, right? If you look at Lando Venata, the only person that he has lost and lost decisively to, um, in my opinion, was Drakkar Close. He does not do well against guys that are going to come out there and wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. Um, and Drakkar did exactly that. Yancey Medeiros is not going to do that. Um, you know, if there's been a guy since coming into the UFC that's had a tougher uh, schedule as far as lightweights go, I don't know of one outside of maybe Justin Gaethje. Uh, if you look at Lando Venata signed out of XFC, uh, first fight in the UFC, Tony Ferguson on short notice. Yeah. Um, then he, he gets the fight. Uh, John McDessie, which John McDessie is not an easy out for anybody. Then he's taken on David Tamer, Bobby Green, Dracar Close, Matt Frivola. And then the only easy fight, in my opinion, that the guys had was his last win in February of 2019 was against Marcos Mariano. That was the easiest fight the guys had because after that, they're like, oh, you did well, you fought him. Now you get to fight Mark DeCasey. And Mark DeCasey is a monster. That's like, that, that's a, a huge. Uh, you know, prospect on the up and up. And I think that a guy like Yancey Medeiros who flops back and forth between weight classes, can't really find a home. I think Lando, you know, got, was, I'll, I'll call it a gift, was gifted a new UFC fight deal um, despite losing four out of the six fights on his first contract, was given a new deal. I think he's going to come out there and try to prove that Dana White, Sean Shelby, Mick Maynard made the right choice by bringing him back on. And I think he's going to put on a showcase against a guy who's willing to stand there and be hit like Yancey Madero says. Yeah. No, you just had me go down memory lane. The Tony Ferguson fight um, on short notice. I'm pretty sure he lost by Dars. He did. Uh, yeah, that was brutal. But yeah. if you are watching this via YouTube, I am wearing a Hawaiian shirt. So if he does lose, I'm going to look like an asshole. So thank you. <laughs> all right let, i don't want to I'm, I'm just we're gonna we're gonna cover this next one but i'm uh, i'm just gonna do it based off the logic that brock weaver looks like he's killed people before in real life um brock weaver versus kazula vargas this is a hometown spoon feeding for brock weaver um they want the local boy to get the big pop this has a performance of the night bonus written all over it they are just dying to give brock weaver money they just want him to kill Kazula Vargas, um, and I think he's going to get it done. Weaver sitting at fourteen and four. Vargas at eleven and three. Brock Weaver by potential homicide. <laughs> Brock Weaver looks exactly like if anyone's listening to this, uh, watched Point Break 
if you remember that movie with Keanu Reeves, Anthony Kiedis from the Chili Peppers is in there, and he's one of the surf uh, bums in there. He is so scary because any type of Native American fighter that's in the UFC, automatically you're just worried and scared. This guy also, if you forgot, he fought in bare-knuckle boxing against uh, Joe uh, Joe Skiggs. I can't remember. Joe, R- but Joe Riggs. Joe Riggs. Joe Riggs. Yeah. Um, so this guy brawls. He's he's durable. Yeah, and there's a reason he's listed as a favorite on this card for sure. Yep, yep. All right, another fight you and I are split on: Mara Barella versus Montana De La Rosa. Uh, Montana's at ten and five. Barella's at twelve and six. I like De La Rosa here. You like Barella. The floor is yours. <laughs> Your biggest argument for De La Rosa was her jiu-jitsu. And while she does fight and fight to win, she's got great jiu-jitsu. Barella, to, to my knowledge, has better jiu-jitsu. So I'd love to hear your thoughts as to, you know, someone who you've had a lot of faith in outside of the Lauren Murphy knockout, which was, again, pure luck. Um, that knee was, you know, Lauren Murphy didn't think she even had that in her arsenal. When you look at someone that I believe has better jiu-jitsu, you have to tell me where you think that De La Rosa is going to win this fight. Oh, I think she wins it on the ground. I think she submits her. She's got she's got submission wins over Nadia Kasim, who, in my opinion, I, personally, I like Nadia Kasim. I I do not believe that she is a UFC level talent, not yet. Um, but she also has a submission win over Rachel Ostovich, and she's got submission wins over Christina Marks. All of these are in the UFC. These are UFC level wins. Uh, she has a unanimous decision loss to Andrea Lee, but we know what to expect out of Andrea Lee. Andrea Lee kept it standing the entire time and pieced her up. If De La Rosa can take you to the ground, she is going to submit you. I just I think that that's I think that's where she gets it done at. Um, I don't think this is a three round wrestle fest. If it is, it's because it's a mix of stand up and takedowns. But that's going to be brought on because. Barella will be winning the fight at that point if she's doing that. But if you look at Barella, she lost to uh, Lauren Murphy, but she her win prior to that was a split decision over Talia Santos. But then she lost a unanimous and quite handedly to Caitlin Chukagian. But then she won a submission over Kalinda Faria. She's a mixed bag as far as what she's going to bring to the table. She's winning fights by by submissions and by decisions. I think this fight goes to the ground. I don't think this is a fight where they stand up. It's not like when we see two wrestlers go at it and everybody stands up the whole time because they don't want to wrestle each other. I think with these two women that are more comfortable on the ground, both of them, I think it goes to the ground. And when it does that, I think De La Rosa is more proven. Not necessarily she's the most talented, but she's the more proven finisher when it comes to getting the job done at a UFC level. Yeah, I... I... I hear you. I can't agree with you. I think that um, <laughs> it's going to take a lot to get Barella down to the ground. And if you right. look at the way that De La Rosa does, you know, whether she gets a double or a single off the cage, she doesn't have that much strength, you know, and she's gotten kind of lucky with a, c- a couple trips to get it down to the ground. I think it's going to be tough to get it down to the ground. And when she's down at the ground, it's going to be a split. So, you know, it's women's MMA. Again, this is one that I want to stay away from. I think you yep. want to stay away from it as well. Yes. Um, so, yeah, let's stay away from it. I won't talk about it. You don't talk about it. Let's not talk about it. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Um, speaking <laughs> of fights, I don't want to talk about. Devin Clark taking on Daquan Townsend. This is a last-minute replacement fight. Daquan Townsend stepping in at 21-9. and nine. Devin Clark sitting at 10-4. and four. I don't like the odds for this. I want to wait 
and it's, it's all right with you. I'm going to wait till the prop comes out to see what the over-under is on rounds. Guys, be looking to play the over on this fight. Um, is So my, bet, my guess is that this is going to come in around one and a half. We're going to be looking to play the over uh, in that instance. But let's move on. Two of the most high-profile personalities in UFC history. Michelle Pereira just recently signed. Uh, coming off that weird fight against Tristan Connolly and the personality of all personalities, uh, the Zen warrior, the crystal maestro, the, uh, you know, the dean of the school of self-awareness, Diego Sanchez. Uh, Sanchez at 29 and 12, Pereira at 23 and 10. They're, this is This is a matchup made in select a random fighter on UFC 3. Uh, I, I, dude, I have no idea what to make of this this matchup. This is a literally quintessential get hammered at an arcade and just punch the buttons. Yep, yeah. full on piano cat. You know, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. Um, I I always it's always amazing to see Diego Santos come back. Uh, he switches camps as much as anyone. Like changes a t shirt. You know, school self awareness under Joshua Fabia. I mean, let's see what that's going to play into him. Um, I think that they are sitting around in a circle, singing Kumbaya, hucking cotton balls at each other. I don't know how much that's actually played into him. My biggest concern with Diego Sanchez is you talk about Shin and you talk about CTE. I, I am so worried for this guy. And at the end of the day, I hate saying this, but you got to go with the bigger guy. You look at Diego Sanchez and you look how he did against now. Granted, Michael Chiesa is a much, much better fighter than Michelle Pereira. But Michael Chiesa flowed all over Diego Sanchez. You know, Michael Chiesa has great jiu-jitsu. But Michelle Pereira is a much larger dude. And you think with his versatility and Superman punches and just kind of holding him against the cage, Diego Sanchez is going to have a lot of issues to try and create some space for himself. Potentially, yes. But... Like we saw with the Tristan Connolly fight, Pereira is only effective if that creativity finds its mark. If it does not, his cardio is not capable of keeping up with what his mind wants to do. The converse, you know, conversely, you've got Michael Chiesa. Michael Chiesa is an efficiency machine. So he flowed all over Diego the entire time they fought, but that's because that's what a guy like Michael Chiesa can do. He doesn't put himself in adverse situations where he's got to expend more energy to get out of them. He does exactly what he needs to do to win the position, to win the fight. Diego runs off of adrenaline, hate, and the power of sacred geometry. And I seriously think that if he can just withstand the initial bum rush of a guy like Pereira, who is a 155-pound or 170-pound version of Johnny Walker, if he can survive the first four minutes of the fight, it's his fight to lose. And if you look at a guy like Diego, who is notoriously tough to finish, um, you know, obviously lost to the Matt Brown ally Quinta and Joe Lozon via strikes. But prior to that man, the last time he was knocked out was 2009 in the fight against BJ Penn. So you go from 2009 to 2016 without getting knocked out, despite fighting damn near a dozen times against the elite level people that are known for like guys like Ross Pearson, Gilbert Melendez, Takanori Gomi, Martin Campman, Paulo Tiago. 
they couldn't finish him. He's got recent knockouts, but I really think that if Diego can extend this fight, he wins this fight. So Michelle Pereira, his second fight in the UFC was Tristan Connolly. We saw how that went, obviously, right? Yes. Prior to that was Danny Roberts. He won that in the first round, flying knee and punches. Yes. So I don't want to say that there's an ebb and flow in regards to maturity in UFC, but we all know there is, right? And yeah. I think everyone has to have these somewhat ridiculous setbacks. I mean, I go back to things just as ridiculous. Tristan Connolly, I mean, if you look, if you put him next to Michelle Prayer, I mean, the size differential is insane. You look at Seth Petroselli versus Kimbo Slice. It was the same type of thing. So you have to have these little bit of roadblocks to create maturity. Do I think that Michelle Prayer is going to come out there and do backflips and do all this bullshit? No. He's learned that, hey, now's the time I need to – save my job. I need to win this handily. And why not do it over a veteran that is Diego Sanchez? Hopefully that maturity exists, but we haven't seen it yet. If you look at his fights outside the UFC, he was a, he was a YouTube highlight machine because he still did that. He still was wild. And with 10 losses on its record, it's not like losing is something that's new to him. It's not a foreign concept. He's lost prior to that. He had nine losses before he lost to Tristan Connolly. I don't necessarily know that he's one of those guys that's going into the octagon every day or going to training rather every day so he can go into the octagon and say, I'm the best in the world. I want to be a world champion. There are certain guys out there that are wired to go, I want to be competitive. I want to make money. I want to be a fan favorite. I want to provide for my family. There's, there's plenty of guys out there that realize they're never going to be a world champion or being a world champion is not something that they desire. What, it, what are Michelle Pereira's motivations? We know that Diego is blindly motivated by the fact that he thinks he's, he can still win a, a UFC title. We genuinely be, he genuinely believes that, and I believe that he genuinely believes that. So he's going to keep showing up as long <coughs> excuse me, he's going to keep showing up as long as the UFC, UFC pays him to do so. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, for Diego Sanchez at 38 years old, this is your last hurrah. You know, as much as you want to keep fighting fighting, this is it. If you don't win here, Dana White's got to have the tough conversation. M Michelle Pereira at 26, you can only, only start here and move forward. So I, uh, you know, this one I'd like to see how weigh-ins come in as well. I want to see how Diego looks after the self-awareness camp, to be frank. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand this. I don't understand this guy. The school of self-awareness thing. This guy's putting, what's his name? Josh something or other. Joshua Fabia. Yeah, he's all of 120 pounds. Um, and he's putting up YouTube videos where he's like just a keto style moving people around and <laughs> tapping them and folding their legs up and doing all this other bullshit. It's 2020, man. We, we've got to be better than this as as people that understand when something inherently is a crock of crap. And <laughs> I, I just, it, I don't know if it speaks to the CTE of, uh, of Diego Sanchez to buy into this guy's nonsense, but sometimes, you know, I don't know if it's maybe it's the split from his wife or whatever the case may be, but sometimes somebody gets into a free fall in their behavior and there have to be people that are willing to love that person enough to intervene and say, you're making giant mistakes. Diego Sanchez going out and fighting Michael Chiesa with only this guy in his corner. He walked out with one corner man. Remember that? Yeah. Oh yeah. He walked out with one corner man, and it was this guy. And his 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 uh, his advice in between rounds were go out and punch him in the face. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and they sprinted out to the cage prior to the 
the fight wearing a shroud all over their face, hiding. It was the most obscure thing on the planet. Definitely took away the legitimacy of the UFC. And then for that type of performance, it's like, okay, you might want to switch up your camp a little bit, bud. But he, but that's the thing though, is that he just doesn't. He doesn't. I, I believe that he doesn't have enough of a team around him that loves him enough to tell him that he's making a mistake and that they're concerned for him. They're allowing his the people in his life that he's surrounding him with, surrounding himself with, don't seem to genuinely care about his personal well-being, regardless of what he says. It doesn't appear to be the case. He can put all the Instagram pictures and videos up he wants of him smiling and being happy, but mentally ill people smile all the time. Some of the happy, some of the happiest people in the world are people right before something terrible happens, or the people that are making the biggest mistakes of their lives are often the happiest because they they don't realize that they're screwing everything up or that something's legitimately wrong. And Diego is definitely somebody um, that there should be more people having very real conversations with him about. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah. Let's have a real conversation about this rematch that is the co- or that is the main event. Corey Anderson, who just gets better and better, taking on a surging Polish fighter in Jan Blachowicz. Both of these guys want a crack at what now appears to be a very beatable John Jones. What do we make of this rematch? Is Jan's nickname is a gatekeeper? Oh, it's not. It's not. I don't know the Polish. I don't know the Polish word for it, but I don't believe it translates to gatekeeper. No, I don't uh, believe it does. I thought he was the middleweight going up to light heavyweight gatekeeper. Ah, uh, no. Yeah. I, it might be. I just, I don't, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure where well, that falls. When you have decisive wins over Luke Rockhold and Jacare, you know, on the tail end of their careers, moving up weight classes, to be honest, it just doesn't give me much validity to say, hey, when you're fighting a beast, that is Corey Anderson, which, you know, they fought back in 2015. Corey Anderson with unanimous de- uh, decision victory over Jan. He's only gotten better. I mean, he's a guy that if you watched him in the Johnny Walker fight, he went first. Jan, to me, plays a little bit of the counterpuncher, you know, tries to, you know, rack up some points. Corey wants to be first. And when he lands, he fucking lands. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the guys that Blahovitz has lost to recently, um, you know, outside of the Tiago Santos knockout, right? Uh, which who's going to blame me for getting knocked out by Tiago Santos? But his losses prior to that, um, a, a loss to Patrick Cummins, who is a wrestler, a loss to Corey Anderson, who is a wrestler, and a guy against, uh, and he lost 30 27s to Alexander Gustafson, who can be a great wrestler when he needs to be. Don't forget, that's the only guy that's taken John Jones down inside the octagon. So Gustafson has great wrestling. Blahovitz struggles against strong wrestlers. He's older than he was the last time. I mean, obviously he's older than the last time him and Corey Anderson fought, but he's legitimately, from a mileage standpoint, older in the sense that he's got he's 36 now. He's 36 dealing with that. Uh, and a guy like Corey Anderson who's just gotten better and better and better. Uh, I think Corey Anderson wins this. I think he wins it going away, man. Yeah. No, I don't think there's anything to really get into outside of that. He's got, you know, great cardio, great stand-up, great clinch. I mean, this is going to be a tough one for Jan for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So recap real quick. Let's run back down. Yep. I know we t- I know we covered all the fights except for one, but that's because we wanted to give people breakdowns for the fights. But there's only a couple that we really feel we actually want to make plays on um, yeah. for this. And, you know, recap for the – 
those that have been listening from the very beginning, what are the ones that we actually want to make plays on here? Uh, we definitely want to make a play on, obviously, Corey Anderson we just talked about. Right. Uh, we want to take a play on Tim Means. Yes. We're going to take a play on Macy Shazon. Yes. Uh, Lando Venata. We're putting that in there. Okay. And then <clears throat> the last one we were going to do was on um, so on Brock Weaver. Yeah, Brock Weaver. Brock yep. Weaver, yep. Yeah. All right, so... Anderson, Weaver, Venata, Tim Means, and Macy Chason. Those are our plays. Those are the and plays. Then, uh, we will have people check in with us via Instagram um, after the weigh-ins. So if there's any additional fights that you want further clarification on or you want uh, maybe maybe our thought process towards a couple that we were split on uh, yep. gets more aligned, uh, obviously reach out to us via all our social channels. We're very responsive. We'll make sure to give you guys our most up-to-date picks and what we believe is going to actually come to fruition. Yeah, for sure. Real quick, I, I, this is something I wanted to do last episode and we didn't get a chance to. Um, I want to pull up top cities and countries for downloads for the podcast for yeah. last last episode. Give me two seconds while I pull this up. Um and while he's, while he's pulling that up, guys, remember, we are on YouTube. I know a majority of you guys were adopted into the uh, platforms, whether that was Spotify, Apple, uh, Google, Stitcher, however you get your podcast platforms. We're obviously on all those platforms. But YouTube, if you want to see my amazing Yancey Madero's Hawaiian shirt um, or you want to see you know, Dale's amazing beard, we're here. Our mugs are plastered all over our YouTube channel that's Punchlist MMA. That's true. That's true. That's true. All right, so let's go over Top City's last episode. Las Vegas, Des Moines, Iowa, Honolulu, Hawaii, Chicago, Ashburn, Santiago. I don't know where Santiago is at. Any idea where Santiago is at? No idea. All right, New York, Westerville, Youngstown, Arlington, and San Diego Mm. rounding out. And then let's go Top Countries. The U.S., Canada, Australia, the U.K., Germany, Chile, Hungary, Ukraine, Algeria, and the Philippines rounding out the top countries uh, last episode. That's awesome. Uh, real, real close there, Sweden coming in. Uh, just just getting just just outside the top. <laughs> um, nice. But yeah, man, it's been great, dude. I, listen, I, I love – I love you know this this setup. I love what we're doing. I appreciate everybody that's been tuning in uh, and sharing and engaging us online. That engagement is what makes everything worth it because you can sit here and you can create content, but it, it's so uh, it's so affirming to know that somebody actually cares enough to respond to the content that you're making. So anytime you guys write us a review. Anytime you share something or retweet something or post something to your story or respond to one of our polls, it just helps reaffirm what we're doing and that somebody out there actually is getting some value out of it and cares a little bit. Um, so if this podcast has brought you any value whatsoever, whether it be, you know, um, 
whether it be monetary or just entertainment, consider subscribing, consider sharing, considering, consider seriously writing a review. Uh, that goes a long way. We're not a podcast that's ever going to ask you to spend money on anything. Um, you know, Obviously, if you want to support one of our show sponsors like Stay Classy Meats, uh, using promo code FIST to save 10%, that goes a long way as well. But I'm never going to ask you, Trey's never going to ask you to do those things. Writing a review and sharing is the best thing that we that we could hope for. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't tell you after UFC 247, you know, granted, we did go four on one on the card. The amount of engagement that we had of people writing, holy shit, you guys called that perfectly or, oh, my God, did you see that happen? The cool thing is we have that interaction and that makes it really fun. And we've built a community at Punchlist MMA. It's not a bullshit amount of inflated numbers of people that are maybe listening or not listening and robots. No, we have a legit fanfare and we appreciate every single one of you guys listening. Yeah. If you subscribe to the podcast in a legitimate podcast form, if you don't mind, just get on YouTube and just subscribe to us on YouTube. Whether you're going to consume the content there or not, subscribe on YouTube as well. It doesn't show up on your phone automatically like your podcast episodes do. It really, unless you get on YouTube and go to your subscription section, there's it, it doesn't engage you in any way. Just find us on YouTube at Punchlist MMA. Click that subscribe button. It goes a long way. If you're already here watching us on YouTube, click the subscribe button. It goes a long way. But that's really it. I don't want to be one of those guys that begs for likes, subscribes, reviews, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. But it goes a long way. And we just we haven't asked in a while. And I just want to say that I appreciate it. And hopefully people do. You're such a liking, subscribing horror, Dale. I am. I really <laughs> And it's it's what I do is I print them out on paper and then I cut a little piece of paper out and I take all my clothes off and I just, I sprinkle it like oh, like yeah. uh, like like a uh, fake snow all over my body is what I do. What a Friday night. Oh man. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I FaceTime you while I'm doing it. So it's yeah. not like you don't know that I'm doing it. Oh yeah. No. Just trying to make myself not look like I'm not invested. All, all right. right. I understand. All right, man. Well, let's get out of here. We're, we're coming up on an hour. Uh, appreciate everybody listening. Take advantage of the show sponsors. Follow us everywhere that you possibly can. And appreciate all the support. Cheers.
Cheers.